Do you play video games like online with other people all the time? I pretend to sometimes. Yeah. That's sweet. Like, what do you play usually? We've probably talked about this and I've forgotten. I play Dota. Dota, Dota two for the most part. Dota, which is D O T. What is that? Uh, uh, Defense of the Ancients. Defense of the Ancients. Sweet. Wow. That cool. sounds. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it does. I've been playing Darkest Dungeon. It's yeah. amazing. I've been you're, playing Minecraft. Your your hero You've is. You've been actually, playing Minecraft. Oh yeah. Oh, have yeah. you beat it yet? I I have not really thought that there was a way to do that. I mean, except for like to defeat the Ender Dragon. Well, right, right. No, I've not defeated the Ender Dragon. No. I play. uh, I didn't know that was the goal. (laughs) Space Invaders. (laughs) Cool. Anyway, welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. I'm Peter. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. I'm Vicar. And I'm Bert. And that was Peter's way of saying, let's get this show on the road. Recorded live at Tox and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. How you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Living the dream. Vicar? Just tripping on my own mic cord. Yeah, that's par for the course. Yeah. You know, I want to, I mentioned last episode how thankful we, we were and... Um, and I want to say, Vicar, that uh, I'm thankful for you because, you know, as your supervisor, I just know how much patience <laughs> and courage it takes for me to be your supervisor. <laughs> and I- I'm thankful. So so what are you guys preaching on? <laughs> All right. <laughs> what is the text? <laughs> the text. What a great opening. What, are you guys sipping on anything? Uh, I got some water. I'm, I've also got some water. I've we got have, a little bit of water as we well. Have, I'm dry. Yeah. Well, actually, I might have, since I've had COVID already, I might have to name rename the studio to Talks and Not Tasting <laughs> Studio. Is that really a thing? So, like, you know, you, you lost your taste buds, basically? Is that how that happens? Or Yeah, mine are coming back. They're coming back? Yeah. Good. But- yeah, you you do. It's well, like so. It's like weird. we could cut. We could change it to Tox and Tonics Studio. There you go. Because tonics are for for curing stuff. So well, is it, so I, I just I don't mind. I don't mind because people are. I've noticed since I've, I've recovered, people have lots of questions. Right. So like 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 you know, when you had COVID, were you able to like eat something really spicy and you couldn't taste it? Well, I also have a tummy issue, so eat, you I didn't, didn't want to have anything spicy. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. All right. But. Uh, um, one thing that happened is that food, you can maybe get some of them t- taste, mm. but not other aspects of it. So food will taste differently. Mm. Um, and then also as I get, get everything back, like all of a sudden, like the smell, I'll, I'll, I'll smell something and it'll smell amazing. Cause Wonderful. Like, Cause I hadn't, you smell something. Wow. That smells great. Cause like. You realize, oh yeah, it just like the whole world reopens up again mm. for the first time in forever. Was there something that you smelled that you were like <laughs> that was normally bad, and you were like, man, that smells well. That's a smell anyway. <laughs> well, I cleaned out. I noticed a sense of smell yesterday because um, after COVID and uh, after traveling to Indiana. Um, I had to then yesterday clean out the refrigerator. Ugh. You know. Ugh. So there, yeah, there were some some things in there that 
you know, Pretty if right, I believed huh? in evolution, there might have been new life forms in my refrigerator. <laughs> Whole civilizations. Yeah. It's yeah. like those video games you guys play. I was creating my own world and community <laughs> and colonies in my refrigerator. Did you beat the Ender Dragon, though? Well, if I had eaten the food, a dragon would be coming out of me for sure. <laughs> it would have been the end. Well, speaking of new worlds, let's talk about the text. There Advent you go. Two. Good, good, oh, good, good. Yes. Advent 2, the, the gospel reading is Luke 21. Uh, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and, and, they w- and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dispassion and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the son of man wonderful Hmm. well berg i know you already have your sermon written for this i do is it from the gospel reading it is from the gospel reading You, you know what i've noticed with a text like this like i've for the last, because you think, oh, this is kind of new, you know, for, uh, I, I, you know, you bring up the COVID stuff and all sorts of stuff every once in a while in the sermon, but now you're just like, uh, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Yeah. Is that just me? No, that's not just you. No. I, uh, yeah, my, the next Sunday sermon, I, I talk a little bit more about it, because um, I just really don't think that, like... I mean, COVID is a bad deal, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You know? um, and I think that's something people actually like. There's real fear in this text where uh, there are uh, upheavals in nature itself. Nature itself is rebelling. Um, and that's not COVID. I mean, <coughs> and. Because we find generally, we find things to be afraid of even when things are going okay. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, we create these monsters in our own minds and uh, we terrify ourselves with them um, just like the people in this text do because they're fainting with fear. But what does Jesus say? Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I mean, what a wonderful promise that we don't actually have to be afraid of anything. And that, that the beauty of this text is this too. What it teaches us is to look at something like COVID and to say, oh, Look what's going on. Our redemption is near. Yeah. To, to look at all the things that scare us and frighten us and make us angry, to look at those things and say, hey, guess what? That's Jesus a, is coming. The, the, look at the, it's a fig tree. Look at that. Well, and I get sick of people who are all like, oh, you know, you pastors, you just need to live in the real world. 
And it's like, the real world is ephemeral. That's actually what they call newspapers, ephemeral literature. Huh. Because it's here today, gone tomorrow. Huh. And that's what all of this stuff is. All of these things that are happening, it's ephemeral. Mm. It's going to pass away. But you brought up this point. Yeah. And what is the point? Well, I just I love this point where basically Jesus says heaven and earth are going to pass away. I mean, the things that we think are permanent, you know, that are going to last forever, at least until the sun burns out, right? Something like five billion years from now. <laughs> um, this stuff is going to pass away, but Jesus says, my words will never pass away. And it is this word that has come to you into your ear, is this word that has been splashed on you in your baptism, is this word that has been placed into your hand, uh, as Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body, and it's been given to you, as Jesus says, drink from it, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This will never pass away, and that means that you are connected to something that will never pass away in Jesus Christ. Believe it, it's true. You know, that's it. Well, I remember as a child, for example, that I remember as a child how being, there's a few couple of years where I was just deathly afraid of nuclear war. Did you actually have to go hide under your desk? Did, you, did they still do yeah, the, yeah. The, As my, my grandpa would say, hide under your desk, bend over and kiss your butt goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Uh, but yeah, where and then there are there are movies that came out and right. they they would have documentaries. Now this is what what uh, um, radiation sickness was going to look like, and they'd show people like losing their hair and people with burns all over their bodies, right? right? And and lots uh, of great things. Yeah, it's about lunchtime. But they <laughs> made it, and they just made it seem like you know. Uh, the 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 Russians and and us we just ready to push the button at any time, and uh, I mean could it have happened? It might have, but I don't. You know, I think when I think about the the actual having the guts to actually do that, I don't think it was as close as we think. But it was everyone. There just... were at least two times when uh, when there were when when we were like. You know, minutes away from actually pushing the button. The, the Cuban Missile Crisis was one of them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the other time was actually just a complete accident. When uh, the uh, I think sometime in the 1980s, I don't know why I know this stuff, but sometime in the 1980s there was just like this this Abel Archer situation where the uh, um, the Russians thought that we were going to do a, a preemptive strike, and Ronald Reagan had all his uh, uh, saber rattling that they thought was saber rattling, but it was just peace through strength, right? Yeah, there, yeah, there was a. I, I think I remember the situation. There was it was a uh, military exercise that was misinterpreted just right, right? And someone along the chain with the Russians was like, "Wait, let's double check and make sure that they're not just practicing." Right, right. And we were just practicing, right? You know, and and yet they they had they had revved everything up. They were getting ready, you know, to to fire, you know. And yeah. the thing is, is we learn from other places in Scripture that uh, there won't be mutually assured destruction, that there will be a final generation when Jesus returns. Um, but, but I think it's interesting how, in a way, the threat is still there. I mean, it could be even more with who knows who el- who has right. nuclear weapons and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But we're like, eh, but we got a virus now. You know, you it's know, just... And, I don't. I don't want to. You know, <laughs> we don't. We don't want to spend time, all this time talking about nuclear war. But, but it's kind of cool, though. No, it's not kind of cool. It, it's it's one of those things that uh, that they've actually done work on this a little bit more. And if there were a nuclear exchange, a medium nuclear exchange, humanity would continue in some form. Yes. <laughs> Just 
So barely. You know, that's the thing, though. We you're right. We're afraid of all these things. And think about that. The Cold War, uh, I think, fundamentally changed how Americans perceive the Russians. Mm. We are always going to look at them as the bad guys mm. Mm. because of this, because of because of this opposition for so long. I mean, it's going to take another century before things change. Both ways. Both ways. Um, the other thing is that Jesus actually tells us what to be afraid of in this text. Right. And it's not the things that we're right. afraid of. It's not the riots. It's not a virus. It's not natural catastrophes. Mm-hmm. What is it? It's dissipation and drunkenness, drunkenness. and the cares of this life, mm-hmm. which keep us from being ready. Right. That right. is what Jesus... Those are the things that we should be afraid of, but we're not. And those are ramping up. And the, Yes. You know, you, mm-hmm. don't they say... Uh, um, probably as a result of advent calendars that alcohol sales is way up. I'm sure that's about the advent calendar. <laughs> it's just skyrocketed, man. <laughs> but no, they said, and and uh, well, think about it. Think of the the heroin. I mean, it doesn't even have to be wine, but the the heroin addictions in in the Midwest, mm-hmm. for example. Um, you have uh, the great apostasy, uh, where half of the Christians believe that it's their good works that get them get them into heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, think of how few people are actually attending churches. Think of how many congregations are in danger of closing because of COVID. Um, yep. The great apostasy is happening right now. People are falling away from the faith. Uh, the love of many has grown cold. There's been a multiplication of heresies. And these are all signs of the end. Mm-hmm. And yet, despite all these things, what do we do? Lift up your head for your redemption draws near. Right. Right. Good. Oh, do you hear that? Yeah. Mm. Oh, the fire. Oh, yeah. The crackling of the fire. Yeah, it's um, great. Yeah, that's a nice fire. Well, when you hear that, especially with this time of year being so cold. Yeah, when yeah. You, hear, you hear that fire, you know it's time. I think for... my feet are a little too close to the fire. Oh, yeah. They're burning a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> But when you hear that, that you know that it's time for a little catechesis. Yes, Peter, please play the intro. Gather around, everyone. Time for Campfire Catechesis. So, um, we haven't done a Campfire Catechesis in a while, and one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is uh, classical education and uh, how many Lutherans are actually doing uh, classical education especially the homeschooling groups. Uh, uh, Pastor Mueller, you're one of them? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, well, what we're doing is we're, we're teaching our children history and Latin and uh, all the other subjects too. But we're, we're trying to do it in a way that, um, you know, just... Like the trivia method? So, yeah. So you yeah. teach them the grammar first, kind of the facts, and then you teach them to think about it. Right. Dialectics, and then you teach them to present it. Right. Well, what, what, what we've got going on is, uh, you know, we have kids at different stages in that whole process. You know, Rachel, my youngest, is more at the grammar stage of these things, and she's just learning, you know, how to make words <laughs> and write them on paper, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Naomi is uh, right at the point where she can start expressing things, you know. I mean, she's she's really doing a great job writing and things like that. She's uh, 15 years old now. Yes. 
got that right. Uh, so <laughs> and uh, and Micah Micah is just doing great with uh, um, learning the uh, beginning to put it together. You know, uh, the grammar with uh, but yeah, the trivium. You explain it a little better than I could because I'm I'm not really I'm not really the teacher for anything but Latin and history. So. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, Victor, you are also doing uh, some classical education yeah, in your home? Yeah, we're doing homeschooling, and we, we actually have um, a curriculum that is classical education. So it's it's got the history, it's got the grammar, it's got the math, it's got the Latin, it's all... Who's that through? Um, it's Memoria Press is, okay. is mm-hmm. that. It's like looking at it as a former teacher, I'm very jealous of it because mm-hmm. it's really good stuff. But yeah, we're, we're kind of near, nearer to that start of it with everybody, but... Like just watching the last couple months, and the youngest two that are kind of at sort of school age, so two and four, and they've picked up a lot of stuff just by being in the same room. So mm-hmm. it's it's pretty spectacular. Yeah, and I mean classical education, I think, is something that all Lutherans should at least be looking into and be familiar with, because uh, they've actually been taught this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Luther Small Catechism was originally supposed to be taught according to a classical method. First, you learn the grammar, mm-hmm. and by learning the grammar, that means you memorize the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, uh, the and the, the Bible passages and the meanings that go along with them. Uh, the next stage is that you dig a little deeper into them. What does this mean, right? This is where you can start to add in more and more meanings and uh, begin to talk more and more about that. And then finally, um, you move on to the rhetoric stage where you can actually communicate these things to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the way that, uh, um, and modern education is very opposed to this in a lot of different ways. And I think that's what actually causes us a lot of consternation when we are teaching catechism mm. because... Hey, Vicar, what does consternation mean? Oh, gosh. Um, I was going to use another bigger word because I was going to say aggravation, but it's like, oh, no, that's like <laughs> shaped like itself. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's frustration. It's this looking at this and then, you know thinking that there's something wrong with it and something because it is different Mm -hmm. like it's i mean education is a foreign thing in even the best of times but classical education is so foreign from the way that we think everything should look Hmm. and part of that's just what most everyone in america has been immersed within for the last probably 50 60 years uh, speaking as someone who's been a pastor and teaching confirmation for since 98 so a long time there is a need for this in the sense of people, kids, um, can think less and less for themselves. When you ask an opinion, mm-hmm. they're like, well, what am I supposed to say? You know, it's... Right. Education for them now has become an information dump, or it's gone far too much to the other side of, what do you think about this? And the thing is, is that and our people read the Bible the same way. Mm-hmm. They never actually, when you read a text and you say, okay, what is this about? They immediately jump to the rhetoric stage mm-hmm. rather than actually saying, okay, who, what, why, where, when, how, um, and summing it up, right? Because that's the first step. Right. And we all tend to jump to, well, what does this mean for me? Well, how about we just, you know, pump the brakes a little bit and actually break this down and say, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know about you guys, but in Bible class, uh, it's people can read, but they can't comprehend. Hmm. 
to the point where it's it's almost like like look, just give me a sentence of what this what this chapter was about. Right. And that's the first step. The second step then is to start to pull it apart a little bit more and and start to dig into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, what commandments or uh, what part of the creed or what uh, uh, part what petitions is you know are being reflected here? And uh, like for example, for our text for today, uh, the gospel lesson that we talked about, the things that you know the parts of the catechism that you can associate with that would be like the third article, mm-hmm. for example. Um, or um, deliver us from evil would be another one. Definitely. Uh, yeah. um, or um, the drunkenness and dissipation, that'd be uh, commandments one, uh, three. Mm. Um, drunkenness would probably, what, fall under five? Yeah. Five for self-harm? Right. Um, you know, so that's the thing. You can, and you can do this with every passage of the Bible. And then you move on to, okay, well then, how does this apply to me? Mm-hmm. Right. There you go. Um, now, those are good things. I think I've noticed, even just doing the podcast, that that you you have been looking at this more because, for example, when you're looking at a text or thinking about a sermon, you're always directing us, well, what ca- part of the catechism does this talk about? Is that an intentional thing that you've been thinking yeah, about? Yeah, because the catechism was never actually meant to be taught the way that it's taught now. Hmm. Uh, it was originally, it was always meant to be taught in the home. That's the heading of every single part of the catechism, right? As the house father should teach to his children in a simple way. The catechism was never meant to be this theological manual uh, devoid of all life and spirit, but it's something that's meant to be memorized when these kids are young. Uh, it's meant to be talked about at the table. It's meant to be... Foundational um, as you... Yeah, and it's meant to be prayed. Mm-hmm. And that's one huge thing that's being missed is that uh, nobody knows how to pray the catechism. Mm. Nobody knows how to pray the Bible. And so we're stuck with, oh, Father God, uh, we just we just want to thank you for blah, blah, blah. So well, so kid, do you have time to give like a little primer on the a primer on what do you mean by praying the catechism? Okay, well, I think sometimes the best way to do it is just by giving examples. Yeah. Go ahead. Give us a good so, example. So... Um, so when you pray, you usually have an invocation, right? Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, uh, some more infrequently you have the Holy Spirit, right? And then you have the reason. Oftentimes you have the reason for the what for the petition, right? And you get this from the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. So like, let's say you're reading the Bible, um, and let's say, okay, uh, let's take the first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So you are reading through the Bible, and you come across uh, a particular history that has to do with the first commandment. Um, so what you do is, uh, Heavenly Father, um, you sent your servant Moses uh, down the mountain to chastise the children of Israel when they uh, were worshiping the golden calf uh, in order to bring them back to the true faith. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's your reasoning. And then you ask your petition, Right? Uh, keep us steadfast in the true faith and send us your Holy Spirit so that way we might uh, fear, love, and trust in you above all things. And what that does is it's, it centers your prayer on something scriptural. Right. And it, uh, you know, when we pray, we pray according to the will, the revealed will of God, and that expresses that. 
Right. And it expresses a trust in a sense that prayer then holds God to the promises that he makes. Mm-hmm. Or he, the Bible will show us our deficiencies that we recognize, for example, and then we pray for help with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, showing us that deficiency, you know, it leads us to confess, confess our sin, and then and then thank God for his, uh, his goodness and forgiving our sins. And yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So to pr- pray the catechism, for example, like if you're going to use a first petition. Mm-hmm. Hallow- g- yeah, hallowed be thy name, right? Right. Um, you would you would pray about because your name is holy and of of itself. Um, may heavenly Father, your name be hallowed among us or me mm-hmm. uh, through the keeping of your word. Right. And uh, and a right life, right? Yeah. So, or uh, um, let's say you just you made a mistake, right? And you didn't confess Christ by your life, for example. You can pray, uh, Heavenly Father, uh, you have taught us to pray. Hallowed be your name. I am sorry that I have not kept your name holy. Uh, I have uh, lived uh, an unrighteous life, a life not according to your commandments. Uh, forgive me my sins uh, and uh, grant that I might uh, live according to your word and proclaim your name so that your name might be holy among us also. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. And it's also the same form. Our, our colleagues of the day do exactly the same thing. Usually something mm-hmm. thematic in the readings, it, it, it makes some sort of a statement about the situation, where it's coming from, and then it includes it a petition. This mm-hmm. very same formula. You know, and you can do this for everything. Um, you should actually, uh, one great way to do it, so that way you're in it all week, is... Um, Take this. Take the theme of the church year, right? We're all on the one-year lectionary here, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, every Sunday has a theme, right? And use that theme. So like uh, Advent two is the end of the world, mm-hmm. right? And use those themes in order to guide your prayer life. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, so there's a lot of great there's a lot of great ways that you can do this. Uh, some might be situational, uh, and I, I will say your vice particularly is is good for um, men. And the reason why I say that is is uh, men have trouble praying, mm-hmm. especially with others. I, I know this because well, we've made prayer into a very feminine thing, right? And what I mean by that is it becomes something that is ruled, uh, we view it as something that is ruled more by emotion than, um, and men oftentimes aren't built that way, and, and so, they want that structure. Right, and so, and that's why I say, you know, when when men have been given the impression that a prayer has to really pour out of the heart and be this kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say romantic, but you know, emotional, emotional, flowery, flowery, yeah. flowery. You know, uh, all this stuff has been weighing on my heart, and you know, I have all these feelings I need to get out. Where, which is, it's, it's kind of like every man that I know has their nothing box and spend a good <laughs> time thinking about, not thinking about anything. Although Berg thinks all the time, I'm pretty sure that the gears keep running. Yeah, but. <laughs> but 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 when you talk to men and they think as though they have to be that way to be a, a real or a genuine prayer is just wrong, you know, right? Just pre- praying the Lord's prayer, even, and that's why like the first step in all this is to have the catechism memorized, 
because when you have the catechism memorized, you can just pull right from the meanings. Right. And it's like, Lord, uh, you you have taught us to pray to hallow your name. Um, um, we know that your name is hallowed when uh, your word is rightly preached uh, and r- rightly taught, and uh, uh, and we live lives according to your will. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, just repeat what the catechism says sometimes, and, you know, that's enough. Definitely. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was wondering if... You know, I know popular, you know, popular Christianity likes to talk about prayer warriors. Is that maybe a good way to look at this then? Because a warrior doesn't go out and just pick up a weapon randomly and then start swinging away. They they spend time, they train, they practice, they have forms that they follow. You know, that there should be a structure to this. And if that, so, if looking at it that way, would since we have uh, a younger this. audience, yes. can you explain that in terms of video games for me? Uh, the the pattern for the cheat codes. Okay. <laughs> Or uh, don't skip the tutorial for yeah. phase. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not. Peter, do you got, help us A-B-A-A-A-B-A. out? A B A A A B A. Up up down down left right left right. Yeah. B A start. All your bases now belong to us, yeah. right? There but, you I mean, go. But the same thing would be true with you know an athlete. You know that they, they they go to to conditioning. They go to practice. They they learn their drills. They learn the plays, so that they're not just out there on the field. You know, guessing what they're going to do next. There's actually a plan. There's a pattern, mm-hmm. right? Like for me, like I've, I mentioned that I was getting, I was getting back to to. I'm not clanging, banging just yet. I'm clinking and dinking. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I'm not going to just jump in after my little hiatus and then throw on 340 pounds and push it. You know, I got to work my way up from about 225. Let that feel right. <laughs> I'm an idiot. That's awesome. I mean, I, I'm thinking of that number. I mean, it's just a big number. <laughs> Even 225 is a big number. But yeah, no, I mean, and so getting back to this, it's like we we need to make the catechism more of a central part in our lives. And the first way to do that is dads, just uh, uh, read it, uh, either read it or have them repeat it at the dinner table. You make it a, a priority to be at the dinner table to eat with your family and you just you do this. Just recite it. Just recite the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. And I see Vicar nodding his head over here. I mean, I can attest to this. My kids know the catechism, you know, because we do this. And my, even my youngest, Rachel, is learning the catechism, you know, um, because this is what we do. And you're, you're, you probably do the same thing, right, Vicar? Yeah. Yeah. And this isn't, like, this doesn't, you don't have to have a super secret decoder ring Right to do this, you don't have to be a pastor no. to do this. This is no. This is really, really like if you just do those things, you will make your pastor so happy. Exactly, it, because if if we don't have to sit there and try to teach like sullen preteens how to memorize, yeah. <laughs> that would save us a lot of well, work. And you know, I mean, it's not even that effortful either. I mean, it's not like we're we're sitting Micah or Naomi or Rachel down with the sheet of paper for 15 minutes saying, you got to study this. You better study this. You learn it. You learn it so you can say it back to me. You know, but it's just, we say it together two times after dinner, during our devotion, and that's it. And they learn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy, but it works. I, you know, so maybe I'm blessed with smart kids. I don't know. No. So 
I have a question. Berg, did we actually get into what you were going to talk about? No, not at all. But that's all right. That's all right. This is way better. So, so it was a good teachable moment. Indeed. I think it all did it all get off off track by me saying, "Hey, Vicar, what does that word mean?" That's about where that's about where it got off track. Yes. Off the rails. Here we go. Another crazy podcast. So what were you going to, or is this... Oh, that yeah, this is probably way more helpful than what I was going to do, so... Okay. Uh, save it for next time? Yeah, we'll save it for next time. So uh, we will keep we will keep the uh, campfire warm for next time. Indeed. So uh, next we have... Um, Vicar, I think he said he had a top 12 list? Vicar's top 12 list. Peter, play the intro! Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Okay, so this would be the top 12 most interesting heresies. No, why did you pick this topic? That might still be around. Um, Because I'm a bit of a history nerd, and this is interesting, okay. this, especially this early church history. Well, you're history. half right. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Burn. Ooh. I'm not in the studio, and I can feel it from here. <laughs> I'll accept it. I'll accept it. I don't mind. I mean, you know, you know, you are surrounded by nerds, though, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, I feel we're we're the zeit- uh, we're the zeitgeist now. <laughs> well, we rule the you're world. You're not even the jock anymore, old man. I I had I my undergrad was to be a history teacher, so so for so this is kind of this is kind of my fallback always anyway. But the the list is sort of based off the list that the Roman Catholic Church keeps, mostly because they're kind of the only ones who keep tra- tabs on this, which is I think more of an Italian thing. The mafia does it too, so. It's not Gotta surprising. Love the mafia. Yeah, as as a, make you an offer you can't refuse. As, as someone who's a quarter Sicilian, I will agree with it. <laughs> so, so this is top twelve heresies. Heresies that are interesting and might still be around. Number twelve, the heresy of the Ebionites. Yeah. So, so the Ebionites were a uh, early group of well, they wanted to be Christians. Mm-hmm. They. They insisted Christians must follow the laws and rituals of the Jewish people. And they also taught that Jesus was not divine. Hmm. He I was just a really cool guy with long hair. Yeah. I, I don't think <laughs> and a beard. I don't think there's any groups right now that would technically fit all of this, but there's there's a few fringe Christian groups that hmm. think we should follow. Mohammedism is close. So what's yeah. a, what's the difference between an Ebionite and a Jew then? An Ebionite would almost be considered a Messianic Jew, if not for the fact that they don't consider Jesus divine. So Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus, where... Yeah, he was a great teacher. He was a, rab, a, a wonderful rabbi, but he was not the Messiah. Hmm. And they would say also that, like, like the Talmud would actually condemns Christians and says that Jesus was a sorcerer and that sort of thing. Right. You know, misleading the people of Israel. Yeah, that that's that's where we that's where we jump from. Okay, this might be okay to, yeah, we're we're outside the camp now. Okay, number eleven, the heresy of Docetism. Ah, the Docetists. Yeah. Uh, so this was this is one of many that falls under the greater umbrella of Gnosticism, which is later on the list. So spoilers. But they their teaching was that Jesus's physical body was just an illusion. He just appeared to have a body. And to be physically crucified, but he was merely a spirit. So he's like Neo from the Matrix. Ah, and so so his suffering really yeah. didn't do anything then. Yeah, yeah. So if it's not real, if his if body isn't real, then his suffering didn't do anything, and he can't give you his body. 
and he, gives you the forgiveness. And his of resurrection sins. wasn't a real resurrection, so it, it also yeah. then shows us that we, if he rose from the dead, well, he didn't really die. So yeah, the he didn't chief really him, rise. The, the the chief him for the docetists is, is really what if God was one of us? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. Is pretending to be a human a sin? Ooh. Oh. No. No, it's not. We have an article of the formula. Co- Actually, wait. Pretending to be a human. So pretending to be a human. <laughs> My goodness. Well, I think so far. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, so far. So far, it's every baker has been guilty of that. So. <laughs> this is most certainly true. Yeah, sometimes I play a human on screen. <laughs> Number 10. The heresy of Marcionism. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So the the this part of the list, we're, we're still kind of these really early church heresies. So uh, this was being taught by a man named Marcion. So he's right around right around the year one forty four, and his, his teaching is that Jesus Christ was was sent, obviously, and that Paul was the chief apostle. Marcion also taught that the Hebrew God, the God of the Old Testament, was a wrathful lower deity under the authority of the true God. So because this Marcion and his followers, they actually reject the Old Testament. Yeah. So are there any modern-day Marcionists? I'd say the uh, the faculty at Fort Wayne. Just kidding. Wow. Man, I thought the other <laughs> one was bad. <laughs> oh, wow. No, they just, don't, they just don't teach the Old Testament or Hebrew, hardly, so... Well, that, that's changed a little bit, we, I we, think. We've, but. We've, got, we've got a couple excited Old Testament professors right now, so well, we're, we're working on it. We're that's, working on it. That's good. I'm glad. That was just a joke, by the way. For those, do we out, know for sure? Send comments to <laughs> Berg at clericalerrors.org. There's a grain of truth to all humor. I'll make sure he doesn't or have to Facebook, Berg so I'll make sure he gets messages. <laughs> Berg at clericalerrors.org. But yeah, no, they. Uh, I think they also di- rejected the other Gospels. They had a heavily um, edited version of Luke, and then the Pauline Epistles, which is interesting because one of our first uh, commenters, Pastor Mueller here, yes. he uh, he had a disagreement with uh, Pastor Bullhagen with Petrine on... Primacy. Yes, yeah. I, I still, yeah. So I did have a disagreement with you, Pastor Bullhagen, and I kind of still do. I I do think I do think that Paul is is top of the list of the apostles, but. Will you still commune with me? Yeah, I still will. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Paul better than Peter. I'm sorry. I just do. Not I, you, I Peter. Like Peter. I like you like I like, like Peter well more because he wrote less, and I don't like to read. Ah, I see. I see. <laughs> to yeah, be honest. Yeah. <coughs> Number nine. The heresy of Donatism. And I'll admit that I'm not sure this one should quite be in the heresy list because it might be just technically a schism, but it's rather interesting uh this was a group of people during the early church during persecution that believed that the church was you know populated by saints not by sinners and so because of this if there were pastors or bishops who basically were traitors to the faith in the face of persecution that they had you know denounced their faith denied their faith kind of similar to what peter did when he was pressed for his knowledge of jesus that their that their service as a pastor was not genuine and the sacraments they administered invalid. Didn't didn't Berg, didn't you do a uh a bodacious blasphemy on this one? Maybe. Um, yep, he did at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember actually hearing that one. Uh So the, the reason why this one's kind of still in in reality as of right now. Um uh, 
there's I saw a strange connection with this. There was a Roman Catholic priest recently who found out he was baptized incorrectly. And this meant that apparently every sacrament he administered is invalid. How they go about that then? I'm I'm really not sure because I haven't followed up on it. So I don't I don't know how they figured that. I don't know how they fixed any of it, assuming it needed to be fixed, but I think they just assembled the congregation on a rainy day outside. Probably. That'd be the fastest way, yeah. Uh, I'm so glad we're Lutheran. Yeah, me yes. too. <laughs> but um, the Donatists, there are some actual uh, Donatist-like uh, people today. Um, have you guys heard of the the Finnish uh, Lestadian movement? No. They, uh, the Apostolic Lutheran Church in America, um, they're very small, but uh, the conservative Lestadian, uh, Stadians and the firstborn Lestadians have for decades excluded each other and all other Lestadian subgroups from the kingdom of heaven, even though the denomination's core doctrines are nearly nearly indistinguishable. Mm. So that's Donatism, um, yeah. And yeah, so basically, these uh, this Finnish Pietistic offshoot of Lutheranism uh, says nobody except for them are going to heaven. Mm. So they still do exist. Number eight. The heresy of antinomianism. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here calling it heresy. This is the teaching that Christians are freed by grace from the obligations of any moral law, which is just literally the name, you know, you know, antinomian, you know, anti-law against the law. And, I mean, I, I don't know if there's any Christians who are willing to claim the name, but I see it a lot in a lot of places. And ironically, it leads to legalism which is the exact opposite side of the coin. Yeah, tell us how... So you, you have antinomianism. Tell us how it leads to legalism. The, so the, the whole thing with antinomianism is, okay, so I'm freed from the law. I don't have to follow this. I am you know, autonomous in this. I have my free will. But it's me. Everyone else has to be good, though. Hmm. So while the individual who believes this is freed from that burden of the law, they know that there is a need for right and wrong. There is a need for morality. So, well, if I'm free from it, everyone else has to be burdened by it. it it's kind of like a, an example of this, I would say, would be, I remember when I was young, uh, was it the right or the left that was pushing, always talking about freedom of speech? Hmm. It was always it was the, the left. The left. Yeah. Yeah. It was always the yeah. left, right? What about now? It's the right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 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 What well, what happened? Well, who's in charge? Right, but the it led to a legalism mm-hmm. where where uh, you know, you're free to speak, freedom of speech is now limited by other things. Right. My right. body, my choice unless it's a, a nationally mandated COVID vaccine. Right. Exactly. You know, this this antinomianism thing is is a really hard thing to get a handle on, and uh, you know because there is freedom in Christ, you know, and uh, Christ has freed us from the uh, uh, from the consequences of the law, you know, and uh, the eternal consequences. the eternal consequences. Yeah. Yes, thank you for that clarification. Right, you know, and you know Luther talks in a kind of an antinomian way, although I'm not sure we can call him an antinomian. He wrote a whole book against the antinomians. Um, basically, uh, uh, the antinomians in Luther's day were basically saying that uh, that uh, 
the law should have no um, situation or no, no place, no in, the place in the pulpit. Right, exactly, exactly. And Luther said, well, no, the law, the law should be preached, you know. Isn't it funny how a lot of sermons you hear, though? Yeah. There actually isn't any law. I know, I know. <laughs> Doesn't I that, know. You know? That, that gets us back to the top 12 list from Walther's Law and Gospel then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I suspect that this one might be the easiest one to stumble into. Mm. That That's my suspicion. Number seven. The heresy of iconoclasm. And again, we got another that maybe it's a heresy and, and maybe this is just really overenthusiastic pietism. And the this one's pretty simple. The idea is that icons are bad. They're idols and idols are forbidden. We should destroy them. So pictures of Jesus. Yep, pictures of Jesus, statues, stained glass windows. Pictures of you. If what about the, the 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 senior pictures of Jesus? The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because this one actually really became a big deal in um, was it the eighth century? Yes. In, yeah, in se- Byzant- seven, yeah, yep, year seven twenty six. Yep. So um, in uh, with the fight with the Muslims, and one of the uh, I think is I think it was a combination uh, a, a new family came to power in um, uh, in Byzantium in the old uh, Eastern Roman Empire and uh, he attributed his success to iconoclasm to the destruction of images yeah it, it became a political thing for the yeah Easter, not- Eastern Roman Empire basically where at one point they the position flipped it was so it's really mm-hmm. it is really interesting and there's a lot of churches where you walk in, there'll be no imagery at all. And in fact, most churches up until the Gothic revival of the 19th century, so like the 1840s and 50s, there was no stained glass windows, there were no altars, um, there were no crosses, there were none none of the things that uh, we even find in um, other uh, denominations. Um, in fact, it's funny because, you know, the ones who sing the most um, uh, contemporary music used mm-hmm. to be like Calvinists, and yeah. they didn't even have organs, and they had to sing their, uh, the only thing they could sing were the hymns. The Psalms. The Psalms, I mean. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Psalms, and they had to sing them uh, a cappella. Hmm. That's why the first book printed in the United States was the Bay Book of Psalms. Hmm. So. That's sweet. Hmm. Well, there's still some of, like I said, the disciples of Christ that are still kind of like that. Yeah, only they, they, most of them too, from what I've heard, a lot of them. Have I mean they have organs and you know that sort of stuff or guitars. So let's uh let's do half of your list today. All right, for time's sake, and I'm getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> so confound the clerics, Peter, play the intro. Confound the clerics. So uh, this week we got a question from the uh, LCMS subreddit as we tend to do if we don't have any questions. By the way, if you do have a question, you can email us, feedback at clericalheirs.org, or get a hold of us on our Facebook or Twitter, uh, Clerical Errors P on Twitter, and uh, it's just facebook.com slash podcast on Facebook. Um, but we have a good question from Reddit on the LCMS subreddit. The question is from user Locked in a Cage. Awesome username. Uh, what would be the process if someone felt they had wrongly taken the Lord's Supper? All right, and is there any more uh, um, explication down below? 
I think it's a matter of like, if you feel you have wrongly taken the Lord's Supper, how do you make up for it? Well, I to me, um, if someone feels as though they have, if they have uh, taken the Lord's Supper improperly, the fact that they realize this is already a sign of repentance, don't you think? It's- well, first, I, I want to understand, like, what does it mean to, like, take it take it wrongly or improperly? Like, were they at... Not uh, examining yourself, perhaps, or of a different... Conf- I'm guessing it maybe comes from a closed communion aspect. It looks like maybe mm-hmm. communion at a different church. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, <laughs> the thing is, I think, too, we have to talk about what proper reception of the Lord's Supper is and what it is not. Um, mm-hmm. Proper reception of the Lord's Supper is done in faith. Mm-hmm. It is done um, with uh, faith in these words, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is done uh, with self-examination. And repentance. And repentance. Um, uh, and uh, so what proper—you're uh, not taking the Lord's Supper improperly if you're a sinner, okay? Or if your sins are weighing on you. Okay, that is not an improper reception. Okay, mm-hmm. that that's not it. Um, if you are sorry for your sins and you want to uh, amend your life, there is no better place to go than to the Lord's table where you receive His forgiveness. Um, if you uh, so, sin, it sounds like if you. But if you uh, uh, one improper way to receive the Lord's Supper though is to commune at a church where you are not in agreement with what is being taught there. Bringing so, divisions to the table. Yes, that is an improper um, taking of the Lord's Supper. Um, this happens both uh, for people who say they're Missouri Synod Lutherans but don't actually believe what we teach. Uh, this is true if you go to another uh, congregation that is not uh, in fellowship with us. And it's not just about having the name on the door. But it's about do they actually teach and practice what we teach and practice? And and so with that, then, um, if you are in a situation where you think you might have taken it improperly, well, I guess the one place I would I would go is is if it in any way you think maybe by doing so you cause someone else to stumble, I would address that situation. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say uh, you went to communion and. And uh, you maybe gave a confession that you did not mean to make, and it maybe would cause confusion in someone else that you know of. Not you can't try and name everybody, but just out of Christian love, this is not anything necessary for your salvation or anything, or it's not going to make up for it. But but it, you should want to make right amends. make amends and want to make sure that uh, it didn't have any effect on on anybody else. And so that was be one thing. The other thing is, is um, then to go back to the Lord's Supper. You mean right where you where you are actually where right. you're actually in it, fellowship it, it, with it, everybody else. It's not a, a it's not a mortal sin. It's not. However, I would caution um, to be very careful from then on because if you went up to the Lord's table not believing what they believe and making a false confession, um, and you knew that. Like, you can't just ignorantly go up to the Lord's table. Right. 
um, you have to be very careful because then you will be sinning against your conscience. What I think part, as Peter's highlighting here, part of the issue, it says here, eating and drinking judgment. So I think the issue might be he might be thinking that the judgment that they ate on themselves was like an eternal judgment. Well, it, how do you how do you remove being judged? Well, or not remove, um, fix. There's no, uh, um, there's actually no removing of the judgment in that sense. This um, is judgment. If but, I'm not but, mistaken, is more of a discipline, isn't it? Well, they people died because of it, mm-hmm. right? They got sick, um, and Paul at the end of First Corinthians eleven says. Um, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But w- when we are judged by the Lord, we are chastised. We are we are disciplined. Right. Um, so no matter what, there is going to be judgment. Um, the question is: is are you know? Do you recognize that and repent? Because judgment begins at the household of God. And so that's the thing: is like, um, um, if you are if <laughs> sinning against your conscience is a grievous thing. And we have to be very careful with that, uh, and be very aware of where we are and who we're communing with. And, and the fact that that in the question you're you're taking this all seriously just, to me just points right in a, in a positive way. Right. Um, you and you know that's the thing. You may get sick. You may die, but uh, you have you've repented. You've received the forgiveness of sins, and this is a—I think this is a matter of talking to your pastor about, uh, because it seems like this is a sin which you know and feel in your heart. So, he, in summary, repent, take communion correctly, mm-hmm. and if it's bothering you, go to private confession. And, and also, if yep. there's anybody that you think it may have caused—because we, we understand the Lord's Supper as being a confession of faith, the false confession might have caused someone else to— to stumble, stumble. Right. and if you know anyone in that situation who might have been affected by that false confession, talk to them. Say, "Hey, I well, shouldn't have done that." And I think about this too when we like when people go on vacation, right? And you go to some of the sunnier parts of the country. You go to places that have LCMS on the door, that don't teach what the Lutheran Church teaches. And I know I dealt with that a lot early on in my ministry. A lot of those people are gone and in heaven now. Um, but it was very uh, disturbing to them that the practices were so very different mm-hmm. between these different parts of the country. And I think it, it actually did cause them to stumble, um, and uh, it was a very, a very difficult thing. So even on vacation, I guess I would say uh, if they don't have a good statement on closed communion, if all you have to do is sign a little card in order to come up to the Lord's table— without talking to a pastor or an elder. I wouldn't take communion. You there. shouldn't take communion there. Um, you should go and talk to the pastor. In fact, you should probably email him before you go because Sunday mornings are really busy times. Yeah. Um, and you <laughs> you want to make sure all this is clear. Right. Um, because unfortunately, everyone who claims to be LCMS isn't LCMS. And I think we have to recognize that. Right. So. Well, I am running out of gas. <laughs> this is a good time to end. Bert had to leave. Um, so he says goodbye. We're too long-winded today. Yeah. 
So uh, I am Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And may your heresies not be living. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.